Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Opinion Video Podcast. I'm Jenny Graham, the editorial's editor at the Tulsa World. Bobby said editorial writer. Election day's over. I'm in that. I'm glad it's over. But we have a lot of results to sort of go through. And uh, I think everyone's just sort of letting it all sink in, wondering what it means. Mm-hmm. Hundreds of ways to slice and dice the data. And... Um, you wrote a lot about it. So, so Bob, your column pretty much goes over all your thoughts about it, the results. It did. And I did a quick snapshot of stuff. <laughs> it's a, it's a, a bit, little bit of the brain, you know, because we're all, the, the thoughts are everywhere. But I think mm-hmm. what everyone can agree with, the polls were bad. The polls they were, were way good. off. So. Um, Except for Stitt's internal polling was right <laughs> on the money. We need to find that person. And put them in charge, mm-hmm. but but it is, and I don't know. Does this? Do you think polling is just sort of a thing of the past? I mean, do you think that there are just so many extraneous factors? And and Bill Shepard did write about this for us that in his he, he predicted that all the polls would be off, including his own. He said it was because Republican constituents weren't participating in polling anymore. The Democrats are too um, inconsistent with how they're voting, mm-hmm. and. Um, can't remember the other one, but, but it brings up, is there just not, is this, are we just using two older models? What's the problem? You know, it's hard to say. Um, I said a while back that I thought generally speaking, and I wasn't specific to Oklahoma or nationally, but that there was just a lot of variables out there that were going to skew polls and that people would probably be surprised. So we were surprised. I think a lot of people were surprised that even though we had a lot of polls showing tight race in some of the big statewide races, that, well, guess what? It wasn't. It was it was the talking heads lyric all over again, same as it ever was. You know, Stitt won by margins very similar to uh, what he enjoyed in 2018. And Ryan Walters even outpaced that. So I don't think that some of the polling takes into account how our election system actually works. Uh, We've talked about this before in in regards to straight party voting, that option you've got at the top of your ballot. And some people just don't want to bother. One box, I'm out. It was a low turnout. I mean, when you... Everyone had these anecdotes of, oh, I had a line, I had this. It was 50%, 51%, which is about what turnout. it's abysmal, but it's about what it always is for an Oklahoma midterm, which is still one of the lowest in the country. Yeah. I mean, people were not motivated to get out to vote. Even in 2018, when it was a hotter midterm, you know, you had two brand new candidates for Even governor. You had the... Uh, the teacher walk out, you had uh, medical marijuana on the ballot. Even then, it was still in the 50s. It wasn't that high. So, well, interestingly, in 2020, it was at 70%, which was like for Oklahoma, yeah. just unheard of. It was the mm-hmm. highest turnout ever. It was still the lowest in the nation. So, other states are getting 80, 90. I mean, people yeah. were just this state, and I, and I do think straight party is, and I've never, you know, hitting that it's a problem it was a problem when it was a democrats and the democrats had a chance to get rid of it and they didn't Mm -hmm. because the party in power wants straight party because frankly it's an it it is lazy 
First of all, if you're a voting straight party, you're just being lazy. And it's offensive to the to candidates that are putting themselves out there. And it's getting higher. It was at about 34%, maybe 10 years ago, of straight party voting. It yeah. was at 40%, 42% in this last election. So it's going higher. And the Republican Party, at least in Tulsa County, and I think probably statewide, that was their message. They had door knockers, they had mailers saying straight party, just straight party. Well, that's not giving any consideration to where the person in that party, your party is good, is because they're, the Democrats are not unlike the Republicans where there's a, it's a spectrum of the kind of conservative you are. There's a spectrum to the kind of liberal you are. So if you're not going to take the time to do some basic research, and I mean, that means reading a news article or something. I mean, that's that's disheartening that, and I read a, the watch, the Oklahoma Watch did a, a story interviewing some straight party voters. And there were people that are just like, why well, they would say, I don't know who's on the ballot. I'm just here to, to vote, to vote my party in. Yeah. Well, that, and, for, and I'm thinking of all the candidates we've met. It's expensive. It's time consuming. They're mm-hmm. putting themselves out there for scrutiny. You know, give them at least the respect of reading their name, you know? Sure. It'd be nice if you looked well, up their position. Now here's the thing. You got to take this into account here. The time to take to actually research the candidates versus I need to make happy hour at Sonic for my cherry limeade before it's over. And the limeade won because people just want to check one box and leave. <laughs> And that's really what the founding fathers meant for, for our country, right? I mean, these sure. are people that are voting because they're being patriotic. But I'm like, you know, they probably read the names and fi- found out who they who they were. Yeah. So the, the straight party voting in Oklahoma is going higher. We're only one of maybe six states that even have this. They didn't maybe have Terry back then. Well, because what you're doing when you straight party vote is you're saying, I'm going to give the party all the power. You're putting the power in the party, not in the individual running. And that's this team mentality, I think, is really what's hurting. I think it's hurting the quality of people we get to run. But I also think it contributes to the low voter voter turnout. Because if your young people are just so turned off, I'm around teenagers all the time. And my teens, I had a bunch of teens in my house the other day. I made sure they all voted. It was the first time they voted. Um, but they were just like, you know, especially in a super majority state like Oklahoma, they're like, does it even matter? So if we're going to be serious about trying to get people civically engaged, we're really going to have to talk about straight party. You could still straight party vote. You could still choose all Democrats or all Republicans or all Libertarians, but just do it individually. It takes five minutes. Yeah. Anyway, something that's interesting with that too is when you have states that are a little more closely contested between the parties, mm-hmm. the turnout was higher, engagement was higher, mm-hmm. and you saw people actually weighing issues when they were going into the, you know, to cast their votes. So you especially saw that in the battleground states, um, where there was a lot more dynamism in the election than there was here. Here, like I said, same as it ever was. Low turnout, voting for the brand, because that's what we do here. We're not thinking about individuals as much as other states are. We're we're choosing the brand. And especially 
outside of the large population counties. You know, Tulsa County, Cleveland County, Oklahoma County, much more purple, much more contested. Um, they went for with a, not a huge advantage, but an advantage for like Hoffmeister and Gina Nelson and stuff like that. The rest of the state, nope. Yeah, I mean, it varies precinct to precinct because even in like Tulsa County, you'd have some South Tulsa precincts that would. Oh, yeah. yeah. For it. But, but I will say what was interesting the turnout among the three largest counties, Tulsa, Oklahoma County, and Cleveland County, the most populated, accounted for only 40% of the vote. So the metro areas, if people had been motivated to vote, that should have been higher. That should have been 60% to 40%. But instead, the rural areas were more, more motivated, more conservative, and they carried the day. They they kind of chose it because, you know, Tulsa, Oklahoma County went um, uh went blue in in the governor and the state superintendent race, which were really the biggest races on the, the ballot. Mm -hmm. So, but that brings up another point, which is what does this mean for education? Because that, that was the overriding issue. Mm -hmm. And my cynical look on this is, well, I guess Oklahoma's cool with vouchers. I guess small town Oklahoma is fine having uh, money taken away and sent to private schools. Because I think it's going to pass. So not so fast on you. Okay, what do you think? I think that's where a fight's going to be. Because if we go back to last session, lawmakers were telling us um, in the Senate, especially rural lawmakers, were saying, we don't want this. We're not going to vote for this. And vouchers failed in the Senate. House leadership, House Speaker was saying, we're not going to hear the bill or there's no interest in our caucus for this. Now, it changes a little bit because Kevin Stitt won re-election, big voucher supporter. Ryan Walters won even bigger than Stitt did. He's a state superintendent, and they have a compliant school board, state school board now. So it really is now a question of what the executive wants and what the legislature wants and what sort of pressure each will put to bear. Well, the pressure's all on the legislature now. But if they keep hearing from their constituents, no, we don't want this. We don't want to end up like the ghost town down the road. They may still push back. The legislature is pretty much the last backstop against vouchers right now. But that being said, the legislature and the state administration have been pretty simpatico on a lot of other education issues. How that turns out, I don't know, but I think that's going to be the battle of Royale in the no, next session. It may be, but this election showed, I mean, you're talking, this is the mandate from the people, right? So sure. if you are a representative in Jay, Oklahoma, and Jay, Oklahoma, I'm sure they, I think, you know, obviously they voted in Ryan Walters and Stitt by, by majorities. My hometown in Noble County, they did too. So if you're a lawmaker and you're facing a voucher bill and the vouchers were the number one policy push from the governor and his state superintendent. Well, that, and they're voting for him. I mean, that, how do you vote against that? If you're sitting there going, well, this vote shows that they, this is the policy. This is the biggest thing on their priority list. I and think my you got to read the voted, tea leaves here a little bit though, right? Well. Great party voting thing. That's a thing. But hey, you know, but the, but the people voted for that. I mean, that's the biggest policy 
that's really maybe the only policy thing on Ryan Walter's platform because everything else is tilting at windmills, bathrooms, and Biden. Well, yeah, and that's that's what I, my thinking is. Is you got to read the tea leaves here a little bit. Are these folks saying, yeah, let's try vouchers out in Adair County or Cimarron County or something like that? Or were they swayed by things like drag queen story hours and bathroom stuff and, you know, trans athletes competing against my daughter? Even though we know, statistically speaking, the number of instances that this actually is a thing in Oklahoma, I can count on one hand with probably less than four fingers. That stuff, those type of type of culture war issues resonate. So I think that you've got to be careful if you're in the legislature because these arguments can come back up again about, hey, this voucher thing is going to take money out of our schools. And if you we're already maybe a little bit on the edge funding wise. And if this happens, we end up turning into a ghost town that has to consolidate. And all we got left is our post oh, office. vouchers. And that's one thing that I think people are going to have to really understand how education funding works. Because yeah. there's a lot of miseducation, not understanding. There's this, and the governor had, had was in small town saying, but this won't touch your property taxes. Well, you won't be paying it. This will come out of state aid. Well, that's the problem. You know, there are some towns that they don't have a lot of property tax going to their budgets. Some yeah. states, some some districts have 75% of their budget is state aid. So if you're cutting money out of state aid and sending it to private schools, that's where it hurts. Mm -hmm. And people aren't understanding how that money flows. And and so, and I also think there's there's sometimes a disconnect. I mean, certainly Tulsa was held up as this scary place no one wants to be, even though, I mean, sorry, my kids high school outperformed quite a, my, my hometown, it's high school. I mean, yeah. Tulsa is not the, the evil that it is, but it plays well. And there's mm -hmm. a certain amount of, we don't want to be like Tulsa. We heard several candidates say that, you know, even though they weren't representing Tulsa, but there's also this thing of it won't really happen. Well, you know, these big city people are trying to scare us thinking, you know, that our money will be taken away, but it won't really happen. I think there's a little bit of denial in that. And so when that voucher bill comes up, the superintendents are gonna have to get real with their lawmakers and the representatives and say, this is, if this voucher bill, whatever incarnation it comes up, this is how much it's gonna lose. Because the yeah. last one that was defeated in the Senate, that would have pulled $166 million from state aid. And yeah, that- so how, it, This is how many teachers I got to fire. This is, and so if you go by per pupil and we lose 166 million, this is how much it reduces it to. Yeah. And not to mention there's issues with vouchers anyway, with just how do we even know private schools do it better? We have a lot of charter schools and they're not doing much better. They don't have the outcomes any better than the private schools or the public schools. So there's an accountability issue that if we're going to send money to private schools, there's an expectation that we need to know how that kid is performing. Are they actually getting the education promised? Just being shooting it from the hip here, we know that there's a pretty wide variation against your highest performing public and your lowest performing public. I bet you that margin is significantly wider when you look at your highest performing private and your lowest performing private, because we know some private schools, they go in and out in a year because they're that bad. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. We don't have a way to measure it. Right. And it's, um, but that's going to be, 
another fight. I think it's going to be tighter, but I, I think that Oklahoma, well, and the other thing I think that's being sold to rural Oklahoma is, well, we'll just have a bill that affects Tulsa and Oklahoma city schools. So your kids won't leave, but that's worse for rural schools. That means that the private school that that'll pop up in your town, they don't get, they don't get the public money. All that public money stays in Tulsa and Oklahoma city areas. Mm-hmm. So that's even worse for your, your town. So, you know, I, I don't know. I just come back when I saw it. I just thought, well, I guess Oklahoma's cool with it. And may and I don't know. School choice sounds good, but I'm telling you, I, I still don't hear people, my cousins and my friends that live in small towns saying, gee, I wish we had more private schools here. Yeah. They just want more for their school, you know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I do kind of wonder, and all the, now that, uh, Ryan Walters is going to be superintendent. He made a lot of things that he said was going to happen. And I am kind of curious how that will play out. He yeah. said he was going to turn, turn away federal money, which he backed off of and said, well, it'll be on a case-by-case basis. Okay. okay. <laughs> Are you going to turn away the Indian education money or the child nutrition money or what? He said he didn't want to take any money with strings attached. All got strings They're attached. They're all That's what it, everything you take at, Yes. The string the only is the way you can guarantee performance. Yes. Well, and with and again, federal money like child nutrition, you just can't take it and move it to other budgets. So when people are looking at school budgets, it's all lumped in together and they think, well, at nine thousand dollars a kid, why can't they do more? Well, because some of that you can't move around. I mean, that's mm-hmm. an average. But there's also, you know, he said that he wanted all history teachers to get patriotic training through that Hillsdale Bright Wing Christian College, 1776. Is, he, is that actually going to happen? Is that, I mean, there, mm-hmm. there are some things that he's, he's promised along the way in these cultural wars that I wonder, and, and also pulling teacher certifications, you know, without, you know, he's, he's without talked that. about, you know, there were two. One in Owasso and the, the controversies in Owasso and Norman where he wanted to pull their certification before due process. So it'll be interesting to see how much of that will actually happen. And, yeah. you know, again, this is what Oklahomans voted for. So we have to accept that and figure out, you know, where, where, where are the limits there? I don't know. So. Well, I'd like to just a closing thought on that for me. Hopefully it's the type of thing where it settles into the job and you realize that we need to, you know, rising tide lifts all boats sort of help create public education to where it's on the right track again, rather than the continued path that we've had for the past 15 to 20 years and taking a baseball bat to it and then wondering why it's not doing so well. And the demonization of certain districts bothers me. Like say, I'm in Tulsa, maybe I I'm got my back up on it, but I'm sick of that. I'm yeah. like, you know, you know why you can't get, and I've said this before, when you, when people are recruiting businesses to Tulsa, they're looking up the schools. And so if you're the state superintendent or the governor and you're beating up on that city, that's going to play a role in whether that company moves to Tulsa. Because people don't want to move their company somewhere where their employees are going to have, you know, feel compelled to not go to those schools. So, you know, there has to be some sort of like, you know what, we got to help the whole state on this. But, you you know, it's interesting now. And Governor Stitt, you know, to, to his credit, I mean, he he. He won against a lot of dark money, a lot of uh, people that really, again, you know, came out, uh, you know, against him, and he won by healthy margins. But, you know, I argue right now he's the the most powerful governor in our history um, because 
when he first took office in his first term, the first thing the legislature did was ceded control of five agencies over to him, the five biggest agencies that used to be governed by citizen advisory boards. They did away with those and said the governor's in charge. That includes like DOC, you know, the biggest ones. Mm -hmm. And uh, some had already changed over like DHS. So he already had that, but pretty quickly he wanted control of the schools. He was very frustrated by not having control over common education, which was Joy Hoffmeister, which started that tension between the two. Mm -hmm. And so he, Ryan Walters is sort of his hand-chosen person. Yeah, he's his boy. He's the hand-chosen person, and that's all that he wanted. So, And the governor appoints every school board, state school yep. board member. So the governor right now has sort of complete control um, of state government with the exception, really, of, you know, the attorney general is independent investigatory. Uh, Cindy Byrd's an independent investigatory. Um, I mean, the some of those other elected officers, officials are, but he really now... Anything that happens in education, it really stops at the door of, of the governor. So four years from now or two years from now, people are frustrated. That's really, I mean, you, in, Ryan Walters is, is the person in charge, but the, the he ran almost as a running mate with the governor. Definitely. So the governor has control and he's, I would argue, the most powerful governor we've had. So it'll be an interesting um It'll be an in interesting to see what the outcomes of that are in the next four years. I mean, we need to prosper. Oklahoma's got some issues. So that includes mental health, which the governor was right on. He's been pushing for more mental health. We need more criminal justice reform. He was down that road on the right road there. So, you know, hopefully we can make some inroads there. Um, you had brought up one of the, the things that led up to this is the marijuana vote. So we're going to have another election. When is it? February? It's next year, some point, yeah. I think it's like February where the push was they wanted the marijuana vote to just legalize it just outright on this ballot, didn't make it for reasons. But would <laughs> it have made a difference? If if the if marijuana had been on, instead of 50% turnout, if marijuana had been on the ballot, would we have gotten back up to 70 or 70%? No. You don't think no, so? we wouldn't have because it didn't happen last time with medical uh, it got higher than 50%, but didn't get anywhere close to what you saw in a general election. And I started I started thinking about that, and I looked at other states that had uh, fully legalized weed on the ballot. Um, I think there was like five or six states that uh -huh. put it on there. On this last, on this last, last week? On this last election. Okay. Two passed, the rest failed. And as far as did it drive a blue wave in these states, new voters and stuff like that. And outside of flipping the governorship in Maryland, no. Did it, what so, are the two states that approved it? Uh, Missouri and, Mar and Maryland. So is they it we go across it. the line and it's legal there? What's that? Interesting. So you go across the line in Missouri, it's marijuana is legal outright? Missouri, I think it was Missouri that legalized it. Yeah, I think they've got huh. recreational. See, I agree that the statistically it didn't turn out. I think you would have had different voters turn out. I wouldn't have had to get on my teenagers so much to get out to vote. I think the group of teenage boys who are practicing in the garage, if I would have gone out and said, hey, you guys can vote on weed, 
they wouldn't have grumbled. They would have been like, oh yeah, that we would go out. So I think you would have had a different sort of voters come out. Maybe not in droves, maybe not. But it didn't happen states. in other states though. Yeah. That's the thing is when you, when you look at the political makeup of the states that had it on the ballot, mm-hmm. you know, before the election and after the election, almost no okay. change. So take a look. I don't at, think it would have changed much of the results. Like if, if we had gone there, it. huh? Missouri passed it. How much did the political landscape in Missouri change? It didn't. No. So I think that means a few things. I mean, when you look at the margins of victory that you saw with the big elections here in Oklahoma, pretty tall hill to climb to make up for with an added marijuana vote. I don't think the marijuana vote is monolithic, as Mm -hmm. some people think. Mm -hmm. And there is a question here with, with our medical marijuana it's different from other states. I mean, getting a card to get a prescription is pretty easy. Mm-hmm. I've got probably five dispensaries within a mile of me. If I'm walking or driving down 3rd Street or 6th Street, the smell is strong and bedank. Mm. So we are technically a medical marijuana state, but... Wink, yeah. wink. We're pretty recreational about it. I think that's a difference of it came through an initiative petition rather than lawmakers sitting down and crafting a law. Yeah. Initiative petitions are notoriously poorly written because the lawmakers aren't doing their job. They aren't reading their constituents correctly. And so when right. people get frustrated, run an initiative petition and that's what happens. But yeah. I, I agree with you. I don't think even if it had been on the ballot, I don't think it would have changed the outcome of the race. I don't think so either. Um, I mean, Oklahoma is a super majority Republican. I mean, it's it's pretty red. So I don't think yeah. that would have changed that much um, at all. But People you know, want to make a comparison between us and Kansas. Mm, it's more accurate to say us and Arkansas. Yeah. Yeah. That's my you know, But that brings up, you mentioned Kansas. Nationally, there was a there was this prediction of a of a row effect that people who were upset over the fall of Roe v. Wade they were going to come out in droves and make this huge inf- effect. I don't think we saw that here. That's me. Nationally, I think we did. Just looking at this expected yes. red wave that we're still not real sure. I mean, if we're not real sure right now who's got this who's got power in, in congress then there wasn't a red wave compared to i mean remember that it was a mid to was it 2018 where like 42 um republicans you know won seats and now we're made they've got maybe 10 or something maybe. where they flipped seats so did, i mean when when you look at this do you think roe had an effect uh i do i do think especially in the in the Great Lakes battleground states, Michigan, Wisconsin, um, some of those places, and a few other states as well, I think it definitely pushed a a youth vote. I'm not going to say Gen Z came out in huge numbers because they right. didn't, but how they did percentage wise, they definitely tracked toward the Democrats rather than Republicans, and I think that was college kids lining up and saying, "Yeah, we're not down with this." I would say in Oklahoma, not as big as an effect, obviously, as other states. Um, But 
correct me if I'm wrong, Susan, Suzanne Schreiber, mm -hmm. that was a flip, was it not? It was, but it's it was always a pretty purple district, and the Republican yes. that held that and seat that's before was the point here yeah. is when you're looking at purple states, the abortion thing made yeah. a difference. And there's three districts in the midtown area of Tulsa that I would call purple. They all went Democrat, and one of those seats was a flip. All three candidates, all three women expressed uh, abortion rights as a priority. So I would say small effect, and I don't think it's going to have a policy effect so much in Oklahoma as it does in these other places. Uh -huh. But it's there, and it just depending on how demographics change, um, how that may or may not overcome gerrymandering and stuff like that, you know, this is not something that's going to be decided in one election cycle. I think you're going to have several states over time still dealing with the impact of the overturning of Roe, uh -huh. um, however you think about that or not. But it is telling that um, there were a lot of abortion-related uh, things on the ballot, not just candidates in various states, whether they're a red one like Montana or you know, a bluer one like Michigan or something like that. And voters came out for those like they did in Kansas supporting abortion rights. And I, I wonder if that means that it's, even like in Oklahoma, if you trust polling data, which we've kind of blasted a little bit here on this, but even a majority of Oklahomans are not full on in favor of a total ban, even though that's what we got here. So I wonder if there's going to be somebody in the depths of policy wonkville that's going to say, maybe we start crafting laws that have some restrictions, but we give some choice back so we can basically turn down the temperature on this issue and win on other stuff. Because abortion is going to be a loser in a lot of important states. And depending on demographic changes, Maybe that starts to uh, boil over in places like Texas, maybe a little bit in Florida, but although I think Florida is going more red by the year, but. Yeah, I just, I don't, I don't think it made that huge of a difference here overall. You may be right, but we just don't have that many purple districts in Oklahoma. That's why I say, I don't think it made a difference overall. I, um, but I did hear from candidates as you did that it was brought up on the doorsteps. Yeah. That candidate said, you know, in, when we asked about the priorities, no one said had abortion rights as a, their top three priority. It was always education, mental health, the economy, you know, inflation. Mm -hmm. um, those typically were the three. So abortion rights wasn't up there. But then a few candidates said, yeah, but, you know, every once in a while, you know, I'm still getting on a daily basis. I'll go to a door. And the first question is, are you what do you think about Roe? What do you th where are you at on abortion? And so. It may be more quiet in Oklahoma because it's still one of those. I mean, we're, you know, one of those you don't talk about in polite company kind of thing, but we're going to have to because right now, um, you know, we do have one of the strictest laws and yeah. abortion's not going to end. And we'll, you know, a discussion for another day. But I don't think the state legislature is going to have it. I think it's going to be an initiative petition because Oklahoma legislators don't touch things that the electorate says. That they'll punish them for or mm -hmm. is controversial and so i think what you'll have is some sort of initiative petition to enshrine some rights and then it'll be you know a, you know get it on the ballot 
because, and I've not heard even among pro-choice people, what people are wanting are just more exceptions that this total ban, except for the life of the mother, which is by the way, completely undefined. Mm. It's just, they're like, what, what does that mean? We, you know, we have young rape victims. We have, uh, you know, extenuating circumstances. And so I think people are like, can we just get it to where it was? Can we have a right up to a certain, you know, have, have abortion available, but within, but with certain restrictions, with certain conditions. So I think that's sort of what I'm hearing is people. And I think people were surprised like, oh, we didn't really think it would be overturned. And I think that's what we're dealing with now and that. Mm -hmm. So um, it'd be, you know, the other thing we saw in this, this campaign was dark money. Oh yeah. I I mean, Kevin Stitt, I mean, he was, he was right to be frustrated. I mean, he had like what, 20, $25 million in dark money that he's fighting against. And I mean, he's not alone. I mean, we had city councilors. I mean, it had to have been, you know, $60,000. And it's hard to, to defend yourself against people you don't know. So if you're getting a, it's, it's hard to, to, to know how to fight back. And so, and I, I hate the dark money it's like thing. I mean, we have just this whole shadow power of influence yeah, that we yeah. don't know about. We don't know who's sending out these mailers. We don't know who's behind these. And there were those are the ones that are nasty too. Those Coke are the brothers. ones that are like, oh my God, I can't believe they, they have this on air. I mean, those are the ones that are like, <laughs> wow. So, you know, I something's gonna have to be done, right? Congress doesn't seem like they want to do anything. They had a chance with the Disclose Act. Both of our senators voted against it. That would have started, you know, requiring some more reporting out of these LLC type groups. Congress or the Supreme Court started this whole thing with Citizens United saying, well, no, a campaign contribution is like free speech. Okay. So I was thinking out of the box. And uh, I have to say, you want to do. I know it's, it'll never happen, but I was at conversation with reporter Randy Crable here who got me thinking about this because Randy and I are on the same page on the electoral college reforms. And he said, you know, and we were talking about the way to actually hurt uh, dark money is to devalue the worth of a seat. So we're thinking about Congress. You have 435 seats. It could be larger. Like when it, when the, when the, Country was founded every 10 years with a census. It grew according to the population. Then 1929, well, 1920, they stopped it. And they actually capped it in 1929. And the population's exploded since then, but we've always kept it 435. Well, what if we like doubled it? What if we went in and said, you know what? We're going to, you know, in doing that and expanding the house has always been framed as equity because right now it's like one representative for per 800,000 people. The constitution actually said it's supposed to be one per 30,000. So we're pretty way off. But I think it would also hurt dark money because if you had, because right now they're just funding, you know, 435, putting their secret money there. What if they had to, you know, had a thousand more seats or whatever it is? You have to spread out that money. What if you, you know, the, the way to devalue something is to like make it larger. So that way it's worth less. So you wouldn't have as much dark money pouring into Senate or, or Congress. I was focusing on Congress, but I think you could make that same argument with the Oklahoma legislature. What if we had more legislators? What if we had, you know, 
thinking outside the box. So I just think there's got to be some other ways to neutralize the dark money groups. I, I, That's I my see contribution. like uh, majority and minority whips right now for saying, my gosh, if this happens, it's going to drive me into an early grave. <laughs> but yeah, well, if nothing else, we've got to figure out something to negate this dark money thing. It, I mean, it's, it's bad. I mean, he, and I know the governor was very frustrated by it and I don't blame him. Was. And, and, and I really don't um, because you don't know, you don't know who it is. You don't know. And a lot of those are, they're not held accountable. So if there's libel, if there's things taken out of context, there's, I mean, you all it does is it's this complicated system that ends up with an LLC and a, and a mailbox in New D Delaware. And this is happening even at the, the city council level and the school board level. And ideally we need our lawmakers to step up and say, okay, we're gonna, we're going to, with the ethics commission, bolster it, make sure we have enough investigators to get on things. And so we can actually, you know, investigate complaints or go after it and just mm -hmm. make disclosure more required. But they're not doing that. So I threw out an idea that is impossible, but still. Hey, if we had more districts too, to the point that you were making in your column, might more accurately represent certain populations. So instead of like people in South Oklahoma City being lumped in with Alva, <laughs> maybe you have some, some more consistent representation of urban, suburban, rural districts rather than the weird mashups that we've got right now. I mean, it's not so much of a thing here in the first district where we live, but the third district, the fourth district. They're pretty, pretty vast. Well, when I yeah. looked up in 1920, Oklahoma had eight representatives in Congress and our population was at 2 million. We're almost at 4 million with less, with five representatives. So we've gotten, you know, like Kevin Hearn's district, the first district where we are, he represents a little over or almost 800,000 people, which is the average. There's no way, you know, a person can, can meet that. I mean, what if we actually, can you imagine if we actually had one per 30,000 people? It's a ridiculous, we couldn't have a Congress that big. It'd be Congress of like 50,000 people, but it's, <laughs> it'd be just get an arena, give everyone a desk and have Congress. But there is something to be said about trying to, you know, up it to where there's some sort of real representation and making it, I mean, imagine if the first district was really, you know, maybe not as many as per 30,000, but what if we had four districts within the first district? Be a lot more competitive. I think you'd end up having a person of color, maybe a Democrat, probably not, but maybe, you know, because we have more purple districts here. I think mm -hmm. you'd have a, a more of a, it would be harder to gerrymander because you would have more representatives to fit in. Because right now we're just taking the same number and just carving up spaces. What if you actually added so that way you could represent more closely to your population? So I just think that that was a way to get at dark money because then they'd have to spread that, you know, secret money around more places that they wouldn't what, be able to do. But right, yeah, that's mine. But now election's over. We're all taking a breath. Everyone should take a breath. Realize that Thanksgiving's in like two weeks. Be thankful. Mm -hmm. Um, there my is favorite meal of the year. It's my favorite holiday. Oh, yeah. And I know some people, I have friends that have problems with Thanksgiving because of, I might write a column on that. 
Thanksgiving's about giving thanks. Don't worry about all that, the, the mythology of, of the Indians and pilgrims. It's a day of giving thanks. Abraham Lincoln had it after the Civil War to give gratitude. That's my Thanksgiving. And it's football. Football, yeah. eating, that's it. So only expectation. How can we, and, and being thankful that we can watch football and eat on that holiday and do nothing. All hail the trip to fan. Perfect. So that's in a couple of weeks. But, you know, there is an interesting thing coming up next week. So the Cherokee Nation is, has, and the chief, Chuck Hoskin Jr., has been pushing for a delegate, a non-voting delegate in Congress, speaking of Congress. They were promised this. When the tribe was signed this treaty in 1835, it's easy to find. Look at online. Look at it online. It's clear. Now, this was a treaty that led to the genocide of the Trail of Tears and all of that. But in that treaty that led to that, it says that the Cherokee Nation would be, shall be given a delegate to Congress. Straightforward. And it's in there. And so Chuck Hoskin has said, you know, we want this. We haven't enacted it for 180 years. It's time. I agree. I think our whole board agreed. Yes, mm -hmm. there should be there should be several delegates from indigenous nations, and I think that there's at least one other um, tribal nation in Oklahoma that had the same thing in a different treaty. So back in the 180 years ago, but it just never was enacted. And so Kim, Kimberly Tehe of the Cherokee Nation was nominated by the Cherokee Nation to be a delegate. And they've had to work on getting this done. That treaty has never been shown to be invalid. There's no, no one has been able to show legally why that can't be done. So Congress is going to have, I think it's the House Rules Committee, going to have a hearing next week to actually hear them out on this issue. And I, editorially, our board has decided, yes, Congress, you have a chance to right or wrong. Do it. And Mark Wayne Mullen, our new senator, member of the Cherokee Nation, he ought to be stepping up and saying, yes, this needs to be done. And Tom Cole, representative, a citizen of the, the Choctaw, Chickasaw Nation. Yeah. You know, th these are things, it, it would be a little different because most delegates represent a geographic area. She would be representing a people. And the Cherokee citizens are live all over the country. She would yep. be representing them all. But still... That's next week. So, and there's, you can watch it live, which I'll probably will. That'll be kind of nice and inspiring. I hope it's inspiring. I hope it won't make me mad. So I hope they do the right thing. So, so anyway, um, Veterans Day tomorrow. Yep. Thoughts? I, I love our parade. Have you ever seen our Veterans Parade in Tulsa? I have. Go to the parade if you can, but dress warm. It's going to be a little chilly yes, tomorrow. It will be. It's always cold on Veterans Day. I don't know what it is. It's always called, but it is my favorite parade. And I go, I love parades. I, I will go front and center. I love a parade. This one, I end up crying. I'm not even from like a big military family. I mean, we've had, you know, military people in my family, but there is just something about this parade that even if you're, you just can't help but be inspired. I just get teared up seeing, you know, the veterans on the, pray they're saluting and it's just there's just something very heartwarming and patriotic and it just makes you especially after this awful you know campaign season where everyone's biting at each other 
I love that. I love that we have this parade in Tulsa that it's, it's just heartwarming. And some of the, there I've still gotten, when I used to cover things for news, I'd love covering the veterans parade. Cause I, I, I would always find like someone on the side, you know, salute. I would, I was just interested of who, who came out, had some great stories from the veterans day parade. So thoughts ending this. Um, well, uh, make sure you read our editorial on veterans day. We'll make some points related to veterans that I think we ought to pay attention to. Uh If after Veterans Day, you have a hankering to go out to to Turkey Mountain to go help uh, maybe do some projects out there on Sunday, there's a work day. River Parks and the Tulsa Urban Wilderness Coalition are doing a work day out there. Work on trails, maybe pick up a little bit of litter. I'm just doing a shameless is, plug for that no, event. that's what i mean but is it you pick up litter is it are you cleaning brush and stuff too uh sometimes do stuff like cutting back overgrowth over the trails uh-huh. there'll be sort of light duty stuff and then there's going to be like harder work stuff where you're actually you know shovels and pickaxes and tampers and stuff like that doing trail maintenance and shoring up stuff okay so so, so time time and where do they meet starts at nine o'clock I believe the place you meet is at the lower lot at 71st and Elwood. And um, yeah. Look for Bob. He'll tell you where to go. Get your work. Well, and where, look and where, for some volunteers for there to help you out. I may be conflicted that day myself, but uh, I'm going to try to get out there at some point on Sunday to, to do some work out there. But uh, So it's on Sunday, so 9 o'clock Sunday at the lower lodge? At the lower lot, that's where okay. we're supposed to meet, and um, they'll have different crews doing during doing different things all over the park. Uh, so yeah, go check it out. That sounds great. Well, anyway, have a good weekend. It's going to get finally cold. I love the cold weather. I'm going to break up my sweaters. I feel like fall. Fire going. See now, now I want to go to a football game. I don't want to go to football really? just in t-shirts and shorts. Now I want football. So now I'm all in. All right. Everyone have a good weekend. See ya.